0: Good morning church, great to be with you, the, the worship this morning was so sweet, thank you for giving yourself to worship, particularly in that first uh, praise song that we did entitled Fire, I was, I was reminded something we all know historically, that we Methodists, Methodism was, not, was never intended to be an institution or a denomination, Methodism was, was birthed in in its earliest days to be a revival movement. And uh, we see that happening throughout the Methodist movement around the world today. And God is doing an amazing thing, and it's such a privilege to be, to be part of that here uh, at the Wesley family. Thank you for being here, and it's always a privilege to get to bring a word to you on Sunday mornings. I want to offer to you this morning what the, what the Lord has given me over the past week as I've spent time uh, looking at the life of Stephen as I've spent time looking at the life of Stephen in the book of Acts, I've, I've been reminded of the, of the importance of the Christian virtue of, of bravery, of courage. So I want to share some uh, thoughts with you from the book of Acts and a few from the book of Revelation. And I hope that the word will work among us this morning in such a way to prepare us for a time of holy fellowship, holy communion uh, with God and one another. I hope that the Lord will, will speak to each one of us in, in a way that will help each one of us know what it is we need to pray for this morning to help us become more fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. I love the book of Acts. After the four Gospels, you find the book of Acts. And uh, the book of Acts is simply called the book of Acts. We usually refer to it as the Acts of the Apostles, I, I prefer to call it the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles because Apostles come and go in the book of Acts, but the main character in the book of Acts is, is indeed the Holy Spirit. What you see in the book of Acts is you see that early Christian community seeking to live an Easter-centered life. That's why for us as Christians, Easter is not just a date on the calendar. Easter is a way of life. As we seek to live in the power and the presence of the risen, living Christ. As we seek to appropriate that new life, here and now, and that new life that will usher us into the world to come. I love the book of Acts because we see what that Easter-centered living looks like. And one of the places we see that, I believe in a powerful way, is in the life of Stephen. Stephen um, is not well known in the body of Christ. Stephen should be known uh, better, I think, in the body of Christ. When you look at the book of Acts, there's a great deal of space in the book of Acts given to Stephen. in the sixth chapter, we, we see that Stephen was one of those men chosen by the early church to serve as leaders there in the midst of the early church. And we're told in the beginning of chapter six of the book of Acts that Stephen was someone that was full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. And that's not meant to be extraordinary or abnormal, that's meant to be the ordinary Christian life. But Stephen got in trouble. And oftentimes our walk with Jesus Christ will get us in trouble. Jesus was so real to Stephen that he found himself at odds with some of the religious leadership there in Jerusalem. And he was accused, he really didn't do it, but he was accused of preaching against the sanctity of the temple and preaching against the power of the law of Moses. He really didn't do that, but the council, the Sanhedrin, the religious leadership, they arrested Stephen, they brought him before the council, and they asked Stephen to give an account of what he had been doing there in Jerusalem. Was he attacking their faith? And what we find there is it says that when Stephen spoke to those religious leaders in um, in chapter 6 and chapter 7 of the book of Acts, his face shone like an angel. Again, we are a people of the supernatural. We are a people where God is at work in a supernatural way through us and within us. And Stephen was there speaking to those angry, hostile religious leaders, and he was, he was speaking and his face shone like an angel. He, he, he delivered a long sermon, the long sermon we find in the book of Acts. He delivered a long sermon. He went all the way through the history of the children of Israel. And he brought them up to the time of Jesus, and he presented Jesus to them who Jesus is and what it is Jesus has done for us. He presented Jesus to them and then Stephen um, I guess you could say offered those religious leaders an altar call. He, um, he had a call to repentance for those religious people there that um, had, had brought him before the Sanhedrin and I guess he He, Stephen, had never read the book about winning friends and influencing people because when he ended his sermon, he ended his sermon with an altar call that said, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you are forever opposing the Holy Spirit. We should stop and pause at that point because we need to always be mindful that we religious types We people who handle holy things can be found opposing the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we're so in control, we want to be in control. We want to dictate behavior and dictate circumstances that um, we find ourselves opposing the Holy Spirit. Well, when... Stephen said that, the crowd obviously got angry, and that's really where I want to pick up the text. And what I want to look at a little more closely this morning is Acts chapter 7. Let me begin with verse 54. Here we see the the conclusion of Stephen's life. We see the conclusion of this event. Before these religious leaders. Look at verse 54. You can look in your Bible. You can look on your mobile device. I think it's on the screen. Look at verse 54. It says, when they, and that's the religious leaders. When they heard these things, they became enraged and ground their teeth at Stephen. I'm going to be blunt for just a moment. I love the body of Christ been part of it now for a really long time, been in ministry for a really long time. But let me say something I think I've learned over the years, and I suspect you have. When I hear this text in verse 54, I'm reminded that some of the meanest people in the world are religious people, particularly religious people whose prominence and their place and their preferences are being threatened. They can be some of the meanest people on planet Earth. And this, this is the type of person that Stephen was confronting. So they're angry at Stephen. Verse 55, as we go back to the Bible, it says, But filled with the Holy Spirit... The book of Acts I'm not going to let you forget that one. But filled with the Holy Spirit, he, Stephen, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Well, when Stephen says what he sees... This even further angers the crowd. He says that he sees Jesus. He's looking into heaven. He sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Standing at the right hand of God. How many of you have watched the coronation of King Charles III? It's worth watching. Now, what I learned about it was you need to get that 50-page worship bulletin in front of you. Literally 50 pages. So that you know what's going on. As as you watch this ancient historic church event, you may have noticed as they were giving King Charles some of his uh, regalia, his investiture, uh, they gave him one glove. They put that one glove on his right hand because the right hand is the place of authority, the place of power. That's why the Bible says to us frequently, Jesus is at the right hand of God the Father. Now, usually what we read, usually what we profess, is that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. He's seated there in the place of power and prominence and privilege beside the Father. You notice here in this text, he's standing. And we've noticed that. We've talked about that for the last couple thousand years. I hope you've noticed it. So he's not seated at the right hand of the Father. He's standing beside the right hand of the Father. So as we've looked at this for the last couple thousand years, what we think we're seeing is that Jesus is standing to welcome and receive Stephen into glory. So that's what Stephen sees here. Stephen declares he sees Jesus at the right hand of the Father, that privileged place, and that further enrages the crowd. It says, uh, verse 57, But they covered their ears, and with a loud shout, they rushed together against him. Because for them, this was blasphemy, to put Jesus there in that privileged position with God. They rushed together against him. They dragged him out of the city, They didn't want to to desecrate the holy city. They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. That was the first century Jewish way of capital punishment. They wanted to stone him, so they began stoning him after they dragged him out of the city. Now look at Stephen. Look at verse 59. While they were stoning Stephen, he prayed. Now, I'm not surprised that Stephen was praying as he was being stoned to death. And when I read this, I kept thinking to myself, I wonder what I would be praying for as I was being stoned to death. If I were in this situation like Stephen, I'd probably be praying for them to stop. I'd probably be praying for it to come to an end. Notice what Stephen prays for. He says, Lord Jesus, and knows he's praying to Jesus. And he only pray to God. He's praying to Jesus. And again, I'm sure that infuriated the crowd. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and he cried out in a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. So you see what Stephen's doing here? One of the first things Stephen does in this text is he turns his eyes away from his circumstances. He turns his eyes to Jesus. He looks heavenward. And he prays. He prays in imitation of his master, Jesus. Remember Jesus on the cross said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And Jesus also said on the cross, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. So here's Stephen praying a prayer of forgiveness to his tormentors, to his torturers, to his murderers. That's what Stephen's doing. We ought to be the people in this world who are the professional forgivers in this age. We should know how to do it better than anybody else in this world, and we are here to show the world what forgiveness looks like. Forgiveness is just love practiced among imperfect people. And that's why we have to learn how to forgive. And because Stephen could forgive, he was able to die in freedom. He went to his death freely not being bound to what these people were doing to him. Forgiveness just simply means somebody did something to you and you have to live with the consequences of their behavior, but you don't have to let what they did to you in 1997 run the rest of your life. It's letting it go. That's what forgiveness is. It's not pardoning the person. It's not forgetting what's been done to you it's not being reconciled to that person it's just cutting that person and that person's behavior loose and we may not have a, a choice but live with the consequences of what someone else has done but we want to be free forgiveness frees us and that's what Stephen's doing here he's praying he's not praying for it to stop he's praying to be ushered into the other side he's praying forgiveness for these people And there's some results to what happened to Stephen. You see in the text, if you keep looking at it, um, you notice it says that as they were throwing the rocks at Stephen, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. And if you keep on reading, 8.1 in the Bible, and Saul approved of their killing him, um, Persecution breaks out, all the Christians there in Jerusalem, and all the Christians there in Jerusalem, except the apostles, are scattered throughout Judea, scattered throughout Samaria, and that is a scattering of the early church for the proclamation of the gospel. This issued into evangelism. Verse two, verse 2 devout men buried Stephen and made loud lamentation, but Saul was ravaging the church by entering house after house dragging off both men and women. He committed them to prison. This is how Luke introduces Saul, whom you probably know better as Paul, to you here in the book of Acts. Saul was his Hebrew name, Paul. Paulos was his Roman name. This is the way that Paul slips into the book of Acts. So the results of Stephen's martyrdom, his death, was... um, persecution the gospel gets spread as a result of it and coming out of this is Paul know that's the way God works God never wastes anything that comes into our lives everything that comes into our lives doesn't come into our lives from God Sometimes it's sin, flesh, and the devil that brings things into our lives. Sometimes it's poor choices that brings things into our lives. And, and we have to deal with the consequences. But God never wastes anything that comes into our life. If we're willing to give it to God, if we're willing to try to be fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ, God can use whatever's come into our life to help us live a Christ-centered life. So there's persecution and there's Paul that came out of the death of Stephen. It was Augustine who said one time that um, we we Christians owe Stephen, we owe Paul to the prayers of Stephen. And maybe um, Paul can never forget what he saw that day. Paul can never forget what he heard that day. And this Saul, Paul, as the chapters unfold in the book of Acts, you see him becoming the great missionary after his Damascus Road experience. And that Damascus Road experience, um, I think, um, was paved by this experience outside the city of Jerusalem. That Damascus Road experience then ushered Paul into the kingdom and he became fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ who became an evangelist to the world, evangelist to the Gentiles, and we Gentile folks are here in this place and they worshiping this Jewish Messiah because Paul was bold enough and brave enough to go to the world. I don't think he could ever forget what he saw in Stephen's death there in that Easter-centered living and that Easter-centered dying of that early Christian leader, Stephen. Stephen was in the book of Acts the first martyr, first Christian to die for his faith. He certainly wasn't the last. The Center for Global Christianity tells us that in the last decade 900,000 Christians have given their life for Jesus Christ in the last decade. That's 90,000 people per year and somebody's done the math and they say that is one every six minutes. We need to talk more about bravery and courage in the body of Christ. I've done hundreds of funerals. Yesterday was a, was a novel day for Clark and I. We did two funerals for three people up here in our chapel. I've done hundreds of funerals over the course of the last few decades. And the text that we read at funerals is, is usually chosen Because of the person, the situation. One of my favorite texts to read at funerals is from the last book in our Bible, from Revelation chapter 21, where we see that vision of the eternal kingdom, our eternal inheritance. John the Revelator sees the vision of the eternal kingdom, our eternal inheritance, and and he sees the vision of when it comes down to earth. And you probably have paid attention to this text because this is one that we read a lot at funerals. It says, then I saw, John speaking, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea or the chaos or the confusion was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne John says, and this voice said, "See the home of God as among mortals. He will dwell with them as their God. They will be His peoples, and God Himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grieving, mourning, and crying will be no more, and pain will be no more, for the first things have passed away." I suspect this sounds familiar all of us and the one who was seated on the throne said see I am making all things new and also and he also said write this for these words are trustworthy and true then he said to me it is done I am the alpha and the omega the beginning and the end to the thirsty I will give water as the gift from the spring of life those here's the last verse I always end with when I read this at funerals. That says, those who conquer will inherit these things, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. The Lord convicted me recently and said, maybe I should keep reading occasionally at a funeral. I usually stop with those great glorious words. Those who conquer will inherit these things, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But if I were to keep reading verse 8 and following, John says, but... As for the cowardly, the faithless, the polluted, the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the lake of fire that burns that burns with sulphur yeah i 've never read in date, verse eight, verse nine at funerals, perhaps I should That's that 's a powerful list of lifestyles that that God just frowns upon. He still loves us. But what really convicted me when I saw that list, before John says anything about the faithless, the polluted, the murderers, the idolaters, the liars, the sexually immoral, before he says that, he starts the list. Did you notice? He starts the list with the cowardly. We need to talk more about bravery and courage in the body of Christ. You know, as Ernest Hemingway who famously said uh, in a Farewell to Arms that the, cow- the coward dies a thousand deaths, but the brave only one. We can die a thousand deaths by the thousand ways we betray Christ because of, because of the pressure of the world around us, because of our desire to accommodate, because of our desire to... Um, to compromise with the world. We shouldn't ever be mean-spirited. I talk about mean-spirited religious people. But we can hold convictions and standards and goals and hold them with love and hold them with grace. And we need to talk some more about bravery and courage. It's so easy just to to, um, go along, to get along. It's so easy. To just try not to make waves. We're in a culture that we term post-Christian. We term this culture post-modern, post-Christian. It's not easy to live for Christ. It's not easy. And we need to think again about what it means to be a coward. Stephen was certainly not a coward. But you know, as I look at all the martyrs that the world keeps making, I wonder if it's not easier to die for your faith in Christ than to live day by day in a faithful way. May I pray with you? God, we're so tired of of just playing church. We want want more of you in our lives and God, we pray that you will give us a desperate hunger and thirst for more of you in our lives. God, I, I know that There are times when we only have a relationship to the church, but we walk away from our relationship with Jesus Christ. And God, if there's anybody here in this place today that has a relationship with your people, as wonderful as that is, I pray that they'll move beyond that to a relationship with you. Become more real to them than any of the circumstances in their lives. God, we don't want to trifle with you. We don't want to trifle with holy things. We don't want just a religious department of our lives. We want our whole lives completely and wholly surrendered to you. It's not easy, God. Uh, The life and the death of Stephen reminds us that being a faithful Christ follower is not easy. But the joy and the glory is worth it. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. I'm going to invite up Glenn Myers, another one of our pastors here in our fellowship, to come and lead us in a time of communion.